Welcome everyone, we're about to begin Be'ezus Hashem, BPW number 17, that's the Pais Panimi Sheer number 17 for women. Today we're going to really just summarize the rest of the book, Marriage Secrets, Secrets by Leah Richheimer, um, from chapter 8 through chapter 13. What I decided is that while the previous chapters I did go into detail with the exercises, and she does have a lot of good points, and I will summarize them today um, on the rest of the book and it has good exercises but because there are many subjects in here that I believe Nether will go into length and do more research on on the nuances of it and so on and so forth in a different format so that is why I am um, summarizing the points over here and believe Nether I will give detail in on these aspects in future Shiorim. Chapter 7 Chapter 8, rather, talks about healthy communication. And healthy communication, when we train it and we learn it, and it's something that is, I believe, very important, um, whether in the Besiaka schools or in Masifta schools, even from early age, but certainly in the Masifta years. It's never too early. These aspects of Shalom Bayis, that have nothing to do with the sexual aspects or boys and girl type of thing, but the healthy communication in marriage of things that they saw between their mother and father that they could learn and absorb and see what was correct, incorrect, and with their acherets know, you know, and to and to and to develop a healthier communication that would give them tools for the rest of their life is very, very important. And if it would be taught, then so many problems and heartaches could be avoided. So when it comes to communication, of course, it's the way you say it. How can you say the words more effectively? Whether you could change the wording, changing your tone, the form of your question, using your Biniyasera understanding the outcome, what is the Tayelis in what I'm talking? If what I say now, will it put my husband on the defensive? Will he get hurt by it? Or is there a way to say it where it may sting a little bit, but... I'll say it in a way that's very soothing, that he'll accept it. The proper timing for it. Is it the right time now? Should I wait till we're more calm, we're more relaxed? The importance of using soft language, the importance of not being blunt, but rather to be more subtle and to be charming and to be delicate and not to be blunt. To be sometimes you need that that when I say to be not to be blunt, but to be gentle, that doesn't mean that you beat around the bush. You have to say what you need to say, but there's ways to say it in a calm, pleasant way. Carving out time for communication is very important. So that's what she discusses primarily in chapter 8 about trying to use your soft language, schedule a time to have discussions, um, and sometimes when you're listening and and you hear things that you may not want to hear, to be patient with it, to absorb it, and then to talk about it, and so on and so forth. That's chapter 8. Chapter 9 talks about having deep connections. She brings down an interesting um, concept here, is that sometimes we're addicted to accomplishing, which has some truth to it. She brings from someone, Leib Kellerman, don't know who he is, he's a Reich Keitel somewhere, that told the author that being efficient and developing a relationship is are mutually exclusive. I don't really agree with that. I think it's very important to learn how to be efficient. It's important to accomplish things. 
but I understand what he's trying to say. It's not mutually exclusive, but it needs to be a healthy balance. What it means is like this. If you always are driving to accomplish and accomplish and accomplish and do this and do this and do this on your checklist of what you have to do, even if they're good, beautiful things, that leaves very little time to have an actual relationship. Because sometimes, let's say with a husband and wife, what's very, very valuable is the is the actual communication with each other. Let's say, let's say they do this for 45 minutes where they talk things through, they listen, they talk, they relax, they enjoy. And during that time, that's more valuable than trying to accomplish something then. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I think that's what they mean here. That sometimes in a relationship, you have to put on the hold button, the pause button, to remove that multitasking frenzy, that she calls it. The craziness of constantly trying to accomplish one thing and then another thing and then another thing. And then you don't have time for the actual being of the relationship itself. And that's very important to learn how to do that. To have regular listening times with one another. And to... um, you know, sometimes when you're having conversations, when you want to connect in a deeper way, you ask you ask questions of interest, you um, confirmation, validation of what your husband's saying. Sometimes you need to repeat back in a pleasant tone, saying, "Okay, is this what you're you're trying to tell me?" And then you say it, whatever the way you say it, and and then the husband says, "Yes, that's what I mean," or "No, not exactly," and you have that connection with each other, to understand each other deep, deeply. Sometimes when your husband says something, you may have the urge to jump in and say something. Sometimes it's important to try to pause that. Keep it in your mind. I could, I could say what I want to say three minutes from now, but right now he's talking. Let him get it out. Let me listen fully. And then later, if the, I feel this is an important point to bring up, then we'll discuss it. But allow him to talk and to listen with full attention with cell phones off, not interrupting, eye contact, not to be in a rush, to pay attention, and to be still, and so on and so forth. Obviously, it's a two-way street. A husband needs to do this for his wife. Wife needs to do this for her husband. It goes both ways. So this is the concept in chapter number nine, which she calls deep connections. And it's also a very important concept and she talks again. Here is where, again, I take this with a grain of salt. There's many there's good, good points in this book. There, there are some points that would only fit certain personality types, and other personality types, it may not be the best advice. And then there are other things, like over here, I'm just saying my honest opinion, is that the drive to accomplish does not necessarily have to be a stira to the connecting. It is a valid point. A person, no matter how high, because this is what happens, which is true, with very high achievers, especially if, let's say, a husband and wife, they're both high achievers. They, can, they do great things with the clown and for the children and for each other, very, very high-functioning people. Here, if they're both high-functioning, even one of them is very high-functioning, for the high-functioning person or couple, the point she's making in this chapter is very important. You need to put a pause on being driven so much to accomplish this and that and to value the etsem relationship of connecting. When you're playing with your kid, you're going down to the floor with a four-year-old and you're playing with their trucks with them and you're connecting with them. 
is very hard to do when you're saying, wait, I could have learned the Mishnah here, I could have done this, I could have done that, I could have done the other thing. No, the connecting with your child, that is the key. And with your husband and your wife is the same way. That is a valid, valid point, a very, very good point. You need to know the healthy balance. You can't connect all day long. You have to accomplish. It's healthy to accomplish, but you need that time. To explain this a little better, um, and um, it's in Stephen Covey's book of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Fascinating. He makes a sort of a box with four squares. One he calls urgent and important. Urgent, not important. Not urgent, important. And then not important and not urgent. So briefly, I'll explain it very simple. Let's pick the two extremes first. Something that's urgent and important that everyone knows takes a priority. Urgent and important. Uh, 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 let's say there's Khalila, a certain diagnosis with or, or some problem with a child, needs medical attention right away. That's something that's urgent and important. You go right away and you take care of it right away. That's clear. No one's going to disagree with that. That is a no-brainer, like they say. Then there's the non-urgent and non-important. Also usually a no-brainer. Like watching meaningless television uh, shows, one after the other after the other. Or fressing on, you know, just, just over, over-gorging yourself on, on, on something. Or, or all those meaningless, or looking on Instagram and, and all these things just, just for hours and hours and hours on end, or listening to political shows or sports shows hours and hours and hours on end, or, or just being, uh, you know, hyper-focused as a doubleheader, uh, uh, you're a Met fan or a Yankee fan, there's a doubleheader and you're listening from the beginning of game one all the way to the end of the last game, that's seven solid hours that's not urgent, not important. Nothing wrong with liking sports, but this is already taking it to a level where you're really wasting your life. Um, so that's a not urgent, not important. Those are easy. Those are easy to understand. Then you have the middle ones. Urgent, not important. Listen carefully. You're going to ask yourself, how could something be urgent and not be important? And the answer is, if you look through your life, all these, let's say, even at work, certain emails that you get at 7 p.m. or, or this and that, that meaning there's an urgency to it. I need to answer this. It's not total shtus. It's something that I have to deal with. But it's not important for now. It's not something that I need to deal with at the moment. And we, this is a lot in life, especially with social media and getting a constant email. You don't have to answer every single email. Some emails you, is total shtus, but even emails that you're going to have to respond to. They, you know, at some point you will, but they're not important, or at least in the scheme of things, they're not important. It feels urgent because you got that beep when you got that open thing, you got to respond. We all, a lot of us go into that world of the urgency, meaning what at the moment I feel I need to do because society is telling me I need to do it or my habit is telling me I need to do it. So I do it. But it's in the scheme of things, it's not really all that important, at least not for right now. Then there is this box that's very, very much neglected. And that's called important, not urgent. What is important, not urgent? An example is, is if you have an hour and you're, you have a six-year-old daughter, let's say, she's playing, interacting on her own, keeping herself busy, or whatever it is. You have an hour now of time. 
You have an hour now of time. And you decide in that hour of time, at least a half hour of that time, you're going to sit down with that six-year-old daughter and you're going to talk to her how her day was. You're going to tell her a story. You're going to teach her a lesson. You're going to play with her. You're going to teach her somehow in an indirect, very entertaining way, a lesson in, in Chumash or in Yiddishkeit and so on and so forth. Is it urgent? Not urgent. If you don't decide you're not going to talk to your daughter, you're going to do something else and she'll do something else, nothing's going to happen. It's, there's no urgency per se. If it doesn't happen, it'll disappear. The, the experience won't happen. But it's important. It is precious. It is important. The same thing applies, and I think that's his, her Nakuda in this chapter 9, is that often when you, when you want to have this deep connection, you need to move away and put aside those accomplishments, even the, the urgent things, and even maybe if it may be somewhat important, to do what's really important. The real important, the husband can't say it's bitl taira, even if he's very highly accomplished and he weighs every minute, but I'm connecting. I'm connecting with my, my wife. This is it. This is important. It may not be urgent, meaning the wife may not need it desperately now, but you're investing in your marriage. Same thing with husband to wife, wife to husband. It works both ways. You're investing in your marriage. You see this concept with Rav Moshe, Zechat Tzadok Lavrocha, where it's known he didn't even waste a second. He sometimes wrote one tshuva with one thing and another tshuva with another thing. And, and sometimes he used to be in the middle of a tshuva, answer the phone. Unbelievable. But the stories where, where he needed, if someone was Tzabrochan or someone had pain, and someone needs to, to pour out their heart, then he used to sit there for 20 minutes, listen to that person like he had all the time in that world. How did he do that? That's the idea. You connect. The connecting has value. So that's chapter 9. Chapter 10 talks about the importance of feeling safe. It discusses a lot about how to cope with anger and how shouting matches never motivate anyone and to know your par- patterns of anger and how to deal with anger. So this chapter, I'm not going to get into Arichas now. I will talk about anger in many other shiurim be'ezes Hashem and how to cope with anger. He talks a lot here about the silent treatment, which is a horrible thing, very destructive, very painful. And it's something that we have to avoid doing at all costs. And talks about tools and how to cope with anger. Some of them are very good. And um, consider your mood, judging favorably, recognizing your anger, recognizing when you're making a scapegoat of your husband or of your wife, um, and so on. Um, Noticing when you're lacking self-control with the anger aspects, learning how to cope with it better. So that's another aspect. So that's chapter 10. Chapter 10 talks about that idea to analyze what triggers you, how to avoid those triggers going forward, what are the habits you need to break in order to make your anger less and to judge your husband more favorably, how to develop your menuchas nefesh better. Uh, that's the, the Shizelik Pliskin, the Friday shiurim that are given about, um, about um, you know, menuchas nefesh are very important with this. And we will talk about this subject in many future shiurim. Chapter number 11 talks about getting along, talks about sometimes you need to start with a fresh slate and begin anew, 
how to resolve conflicts, not to bear a grudge, but rather to get past it and to let it go and to forgive, to learn how to forgive and to have that grace to forgive each other. And just like Hashem wants us to forgive, He wants you, you want forgiveness from Hashem, you forgive your husband, you forgive your wife, you choose to forgive, you verbally forgive, and you say it, initially you could say it even if you don't feel it, this is very important, it hurts and it still hurts, but you say it and ultimately you want to believe it, that's not being insincere, because you really want to forgive. And it talks a lot about about the bracha that comes from the shalom and to say you're sorry when you made mistakes and to forgive, allow yourself to be forgiven. And, and there's a lot of interesting points in this chapter about forgiveness, which again, we will talk about at length in future shiurim. So that's a very, very important thing. She has some exercises about things. And... Um, and basically, like a cheshven nefesh, and about holding grudges. It's a two-way street. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. Talking to wives now. But to be careful always never to bear a grudge. And he talks about the kesher, bonding, what bonding means versus disconnecting, mood, mood management, to love your husband fully, to be happy, to try to get closer every day with your husband, husband to wife, wife to husband to try to get closer every single day and to daven for it and to greet warmly your husband when she he comes home. He should w- greet you warmly. Again, always a two-way street. And to connect the bond in a challenging moment, you make that decision. I could disconnect or push my husband away or I could bring him closer. In a marriage, both ways. Make it a decision always to want to become closer. Chapter 13 talks about creating warmth and beauty in a marriage and healthy respect. Um, And again, I guess this is one of those aspects of this book that I feel needs to be taken with a grain of salt when it comes to the respect aspect. And I pointed it out in previous shiurim that yes, you need to respect your husband and it's very important to respect your husband and you build him up. And... But this concept of unconditional respect, not based on behavior whatsoever, that I'm not comfortable with. And I don't think it's always fair to do that. And I think, I don't know, I'm not saying that this is the author's intent. And, 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 and it's probably not. But the bottom line is, is you have to take it in a healthy balance. So, for example, you know, if your husband is exhibiting real negative behaviors that are clearly objectively negative, whether straying with his eyes, watching on a, on a, on a computer, overcoming, not having a filter, overcoming or you know, circumventing the filters, where he's clearly seeing things he shouldn't see, doing things he shouldn't be doing, or has a bad temper, whatever it is. And you have a right as a wife to put your foot down and say that you need, you know, you know I love you, I care about you, but this can't go on. You need professional help. Let's go to a rough together. Let's go to a therapist together. This idea of not holding back and not uh, saying anything or doing anything just for the sake of respect to that extreme is not healthy. And I'm not saying this is what the author is saying ever, but this is something that just you have to be careful about. 
when when you have women that have strong personalities per se, they're powerhouses. Every every woman has a different personality. Many of them have this tona where they are tough. They're sort of masculine like like in that sense, fiercely independent, strong minded, a powerhouse could accomplish great de- a great deal in life and accomplish unbelievable things, but they are a force. They're strong. They're very powerful. And with those personalities, that is where a lot of what is said in this book or in other books like Laura Doyle books, other books like that, where a personality like that, yes, needs to learn to go a little bit on the other extreme and humble themselves. They have enough of that assertiveness and, 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 and pushiness and forcefulness that they need to go the opposite way and learn humility, humbleness, not to con- contradict their husband because they're probably bashing their husband without even knowing it by just telling them because they're a powerhouse. Do this, do this, do that. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? For those personalities, yes. Then they need to go the 180, the opposite, and hold their, keep quiet, become humble, listen, respect, and build, you know, and build that character of that humility aspect. But then you have other women that are the opposite. They're very, very, um, you know, um, mild-mannered and very um, um, soft and very sensitive and very sweet. And they, they have that nature where they're not contradicting anyway. And they're really not in anything. It's hard for them to assert themselves. So for them, of course, they need to respect their husbands as well. But here, there's, there, there's a healthy aspect of expressing your mind and expressing your needs and your desires in a healthy, normal way. So life is a balance. Therefore, marriage is a balance. And therefore, even marriage advice is a, is a balance. You will never find one particular book that has every solution. There's no such thing as any method that works 100% of the time. Anyone who says that you do this and then your, 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 your marriage will be great, and it's a one-track thing, it's a program of a one-track type of a philosophy... It is not true. It's just not realistic. There are different personalities, different situations, and a lot of it is common sense and getting siyata deshmaya and asking for siyata deshmaya to know how to balance these aspects and to learn to be the best that you can be. So there's a lot of great concepts in this book. We reviewed it. Again, the first few chapters more length, and the last few chapters just that one to share briefly. But we will get back to many of these aspects, Be'ez Hashem, as we go on in future Shiurim. Bracha and Atzlacha.